Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for joining in. It's a privilege to open the Bible again. And may God bless you all through this Bible study. Stay with us and benefit, like us all, about the teachings which the Bible is uh, uh, presenting to us today. I would like to welcome uh, our panel, members of our panel today, and good to have you with us, Joe. Wonderful to be here. Thank you, Nick. Len, thank you for joining also. Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. And Lija, thank you for coming together. Yes, I'm very delighted. Praise the Lord for that. Brenton, thank you for joining the panel. It's nice to be here, and down here in the sunny southeast, it's not raining, nor are we expecting any. <laughs> but uh, we're hoping that the Holy Spirit will rain on us as we study this topic together today. Amen. And I heard that the blue lake is very blue. It's very blue at the moment, yes. <laughs> Will, good to have you with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Nick. And Ken, thank you for coming with us and uh, particularly preferring this Bible study. You are our facilitator. Thank you for joining. No worries. Um, it's great to be here. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's Bible study on law and grace and the connection between the two. Christians of most denominations talk about law and grace and understand the relationship between the two. The law is God's standard of holiness and righteousness, and violation of that law is sin. Whosoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness, as we read in 1 John verses 3 and 4. And because we have all violated that law, but the scripture has confined all under sin. It's only God's grace that can save us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Of course, there is the slight detail of the seventh-day Sabbath as part of the law. Yet for various reasons, many Christians are determined, at least for now, to reject the seventh-day Sabbath, coming up with all sorts of weak excuses to justify their rejection. Even if expressed in different ways and in various scenarios, the theme of law and grace certainly is found all through the Bible, including the book of Deuteronomy, which again we're going to look at today. But before we get going, I'm going to ask Jo if she'd pray for us all so that the Holy Spirit can be with not only us, but all of those people that are listening. Joe. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word this, this day. Please be with us as we consider the beauty and promises of your unchanging law and grace. Please enlighten our minds and give us new insights. May we all, and all who may listen in, be refreshed and inspired to walk ever closer with you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Liam. Is God righteous and good? What do you think? <laughs> well, I know what I think, and I also know what some others think. And I think it uh, depends if you know God or not. A lot of people accuse God of being unfair and unjust and having his favourites. But um, as I read the Bible, those who know God, who trust him, they praise and uplift him declaring him to be righteous and good. And in Deuteronomy, the book we're studying, chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, it says, 
I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. I think a lot of people have no concept of the greatness of God and they try to judge God by human standards. But God declares about himself, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus, one time, uh, giving a standard of righteousness to the people, said these words in Matthew 5, verse 48. It's the last verse in Matthew 5. He says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When the humans judge God by their own standards, they they don't really know. They don't have something to measure by. It's like an ant trying to judge an elephant or something of that nature. It's just, we're just really not capable of doing that. However, when we have an experience with God, we realize that he's good and righteous and caring and loving. As I've experienced him in my life, I would never and could never say that God is anything but. So to answer the question, is God righteous and good? He certainly is. Well, then, here Moses is telling us that God is a great and perfect God who does no wrong. And like you just said a moment ago, I have experienced the same thing. I have to admit God has been absolutely wonderful to me in my life, far more wonderful than I can ever understand, and I'm sure the panel would have to agree on that. Yes, agreed. Panel, is it possible perhaps that God has changed since the beginning of time? What's your views on that? (laughs) Well, the Lord declares about himself, I change not. So he's the same God, he has the same attributes, and he um, is the same God who deserves our worship. No, he hasn't changed. We're the ones who've changed. Brenton? Um, I agree with Len, totally. However, I'm thinking of another thing. There is a a verse in Hosea, I think it's Hosea 3, verse 7, where it says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Whilst he doesn't change, it seems to me that um, God is such a loving God that he graciously allows us to see the future when he knows that it is best. And um, as you read through the Bible and as you get into the themes of the Bible, you see more and more the great battle going on between good and evil. You see Satan trying to subvert God's authority on every level and you see God's plans, sometimes mysterious, but ultimately being worked out. And so I think we need to add Hosea 3.7 to I change not. The fact that if God is is going to do something, he will uh, in advance advise us and you only have to read the books of Daniel and Revelation to realise that God is certainly on that particular level. Jill, then Will? Um, Yes, I agree with everything that's been said. I guess 
God's eternal nature and goodness of character does not change, has not changed and will not change. However, um, God's interactions with humans has altered from time to time. Um, we know that in the case of Nineveh, it appears that God changed his mind according to his mercy. Now, whatever that means, we, we humans don't understand how God could change oh. his mind, but he, you know, circumstances changed and God also changed in a sense that we probably don't understand. I know in scripture it says that, you know, he regretted, it appeared that he regretted appointing Saul as king over Israel in the time of Noah. He was sorry that he had created humanity. Yeah. So it's not that God did not know what would happen. Perhaps he just regretted. There, there we go. How do we understand the mind of God? So I think that while he doesn't change, his, you know, his uh, eternity, his deity does not change, how he interacts with us through, throughout human history appears to have changed from time to time. We who were enemies of Christ are now his chosen. So, yeah, it gives us something to think about, doesn't it? Will? In that verse, Malachi 3, verse 6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. You know, it's profound and dangerous territory for mere humans to be caught uh, speculating on the Almighty and his ways. But it may be a boost to our faith to realize one thing. And think about us now. Our intellectual growth, for one, means moving from one level of understanding or brain capacity to another. Also, with our strength, uh, the strength of our faith, it grows. Faith has to grow. So in the context of change, God does not become more wise today than he was 10 years ago. Or was he omniscient, all-knowing all the time? If strength is evolutionary or dynamic, subject to increase, then our concept of omnipotence is not something that changes over time. If it is indeed true that God doesn't change, then he was perfect all along and not subject to change or refinement. I believe God doesn't change or improve. He was always perfect. Well, I think there's uh, some very important statements there because I, I do believe that many people out there think that God has changed from what he used to be in the original ter- time. But as we, as we know and as the Bible makes it very clear, God's love towards us and mankind does not change and he wants the very best for us. In regard to this aspect of God changing or not changing, I mean, it was pointed out very well and, and will yeah, he said God is the same, you know, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. But Joe mentioned something interesting, and I believe the Bible portrays that quite a bit, that God changed his mind in regard to certain things. Does that mean that God is changing, you know, his word or he, he changes? But let's look at this from a different perspective. God works with us. God, you know, God is not just uh, regardless of what we're doing. God is just doing his plan. God works with us. Last night I had a discussion with a friend of mine in regard to this. And uh, it was brought up that point that nobody knows the hour of Jesus coming, but the father. 
And it was very interesting that say, why God, that, why Jesus doesn't know because Jesus is God. And we came to the discussion that because that's in God, the Father, I mean, uh, attributes that God probably he can say, okay, the hour it's today or the hour it's in few years time. He can change that if you like in accordance with our need also. And we cannot judge God for that. And many people I heard about this said, oh, it has been said that uh, Jesus would have come by now. We are not called to, to be judgmental in that regard. God knows what needs to do. And it's his authority. Thank you, Nick. That, that was very good. Um, just another aspect that might be interesting to consider is that Sometimes some Christians think that God the Father, and I know we've mentioned this on our on the panel discussion before, the God the Father himself is a little bit angry, a little bit stern, hands out punishment, and then we have Jesus, and he's good and kind and loving and patient, and he has all these attributes. And there's almost like a dichotomy between God the Father and God the Son. And here we have that, you know, God is one. And God does not change. So, you know, um, you can't have, you can't say, well, here he is like this and here he is like that. And you separate the deity of God into two different, like a dual personalities when we know from scripture that Jesus and God the Father are one in character and all that. So there is no separation. So the same God, same Jesus, Jesus is good, kind, patient, slow to anger, gracious, and merciful to thousands, and so is God the Father. Amen. Licha, what does God think and say about unrighteousness? I would like to read a text in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, verse 16, which says like this, For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. God is an honest God. He shows his character to us by being upright, being honest, all these good attributes. And uh, if we behave dishonestly with others, it means God's character is not in us and we cannot show others God's character by being dishonest. So those who are doing, who are um, dishonest and behave unrighteously uh, are an abomination to the Lord, our God. Well, those are pretty strong words. God certainly does not beat around the bush. He tells it exactly as he sees it. Brenton, how did unrighteousness begin? Well, it began specifically... uh, can in heaven, and I'm going to read Ezekiel 28, verse 14 to 16. Then I'm going to uh, basically pull it apart. So it may take a little while. I'll do my best to make it as quick as I can. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. 
Revelation also, um, in Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9, we find Satan and his angels' expulsion from heaven. You also find a reference to it in Isaiah 14. But this particular section, you first of all, Ken and panel, we cannot explain the origin of sin. There is not an excuse for sin. And verse 15 actually here almost answers this, well, certainly to my satisfaction. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Uh, the term perfect is similar to the word blameless, complete. In other words, God uh, did not create a devil. Now, there are many people today who question, even Christians who question why God allowed sin to arise. Why did he allow sin to arise in heaven? Why did he allow sin to come down to this earth? But basically, Lucifer, as he was then known, was created perfect. It uses the term in verse 14, you walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. The term walk is the, the Hebrew word tamim. And uh, in Psalm 15, it says, who may approach unto God, who may uh, walk on his holy hill, those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Now, if you tie those texts together, you realize that when God made Lucifer, he was perfect. And then it goes on to say, till iniquity was found in you. Now, the word for that is matzah, M-A-T-S-A. What's interesting about it is it's often used in legal terminology. It's, it's where you find out the truth as a result of examination. Those of us who have been to court understand what it is to be cross-examined, how both the solicitor for and the solicitor against will examine a person in order to find out the truth. Well, this text suggests, until iniquity was found in you, it suggests in here that if it was found in you, it was not there in the first place. So this destroys the argument that God created a devil. God created a perfect being and he became a devil. How did he become a devil? Well, verse 12, earlier on, and then verse 17 says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. That's where I'm going to cease. It seems as though key to Lucifer's fall and becoming the devil was that rather than honoring God uh, with the glory that God had given to Lucifer, he took the glory to himself. He believed that it was solely his responsibility and solely his prerogative, and he did not honor and glorify God. There are other issues as well. Can I suggest to our readers that you get hold of a copy of the book Great Controversy? Uh, talk to Faith FM channel. I'm sure they can tell you where to get the book and read a chapter in there entitled The Origin of Evil. It's very good. And there's also another book called The Story of Redemption, where there is also similar material presented and you get a composite picture of what we're talking about this morning. But um, it's just so sad because <laughs> the uh, when it says iniquity was found in you, the word can is badness, malice, or injustice, and it suggests a being that rather than giving glory to God was slandering God, slandering his reputation, slandering his law. Uh, in fact, I could read you a statement, but we haven't got time, but the statement states that uh, Satan, above all things, hated God's law, and he expressed contempt for it 
in front of God and all the other angels. And it was around about that time he was cast out of heaven. So where did unrighteousness begin? It began with a being who did not see it necessary for there to be laws because he considered that as angels they were perfect and therefore they did not need law. So all of these concepts are concepts that we probably haven't got time to do uh, today in whole, but it's all relevant to what you're talking about today in regard to the law and grace. Joe, did you have something to add? Um, I think also I, I, I agree with everything that Brenton has said. Um, as you said, Brenton, God created a perfect, blameless creature. Yes. That he gave him a freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. And with that ability to choose, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be complete without giving him an opportunity to choose. Correct. And so Lucifer, who he was known as Lucifer, he chose, chose to disobey. You know, the fact the very fact that he chose to disobey indicates that there was a law. There was something. There wouldn't yes. be sin if there mm-hmm. weren't some sort of set of rules. You know, they say, Oh, you know, they brought the Ten Command God brought the Ten Commandments in because um, of sin. No, the Ten Commandments, the rules of heaven, if you like, the righteousness of of God was the standard. It was the standard of all of heaven and the universe. And so when he gave his creatures, he, they always had freedom of choice and an opportunity to choose. We see here Lucifer abusing his freedom to choose, an opportunity to choose by disregarding what was right and good and pure and indulging this and it says i think you said till uh you became filled with violence within almost implies that there was some conflict that raged inside lucifer for a long time before it began to express itself you know and uh, perhaps this is how sin begins even in our own lives we know what is right but the desire to do wrong and there is that conflict inner turmoil and um, without god's grace with giving we give in and um, we choose what is wrong. So, yeah, yeah, very interesting to consider this, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Ken, just a quickie on this one too. It's ne- it was necessary for God to give Lucifer an opportunity to show what his plan, w- how his plan would work out. He believed that it was not necessary to have laws, that as angels they were perfect, they would follow the right thing regardless. It was necessary, I believe, for God because God could have destroyed Lucifer right there and then, not a problem. But he had to demonstrate not only to the other angels, but the unfallen worlds, Lucifer's style of government, as compared to the style of government they were then following, that would then give the whole universe, including us, an opportunity to choose which way we would go. Absolutely. And and Brenton, what you just uh, said there proved the point again, that God is not a dictator, you know, he rules the uh, heavens, you know, and just in his own way, God is there to show and to prove that his love for us all and for the whole creation, for the whole universe is, uh, is genuine, is not just an interest of something and uh, we are the, his creation and we have to obey, if not, he zapped us. Now, Lucifer had this opportunity. And keep in mind that um, the rebellion came because of that, because Lucifer wanted to be like God. 
to lead or to do things as God does. And this is the difference even with us today. Most of the sins creeping in our life because we want to do like others or because we are jealous. We are, we have those things looking at others. Sin, sin just doesn't come because in my life, just come out from my life. It's because we are looking at others. We are looking at other things and we either desire what is not ours or you know, all those things. That's how sin creeping in our life and did in, in, in Lucifer's. Yeah. You can imagine if, if God created us like <clears throat> robots and uh, demanded from us to be obedient by ruling us as a dictator, uh, I think it's not in God's character and wouldn't be uh, right to be. I, I cannot imagine a, a God like this because if we look in, in the entire universe, it's a perfect loving harmony in everything, in seasons and in everything. Even now, after so many thousands of years after the creation, God still keeps a harmony in everything. And the way we are created, it's in a perfect harmony. So it shows God's love in everything that he created. And it's not, it's not in God's character to be a dictator, but he's full of love. Yeah, Ken, just a quick one on that. Um, if we were made, as Lydia suggests, as robots, love is irrelevant. Robots don't love. You can't make a robot today to love. Exactly. You have to have the ability to either love or not love. And God has put that within us. And he wants us to love him because of who he is. And Lucifer had that choice. And as Joe so aptly put it, he chose to go another direction. But I think um, in wanting to be like God, one almost gets the impression he felt that his way of doing things was superior to the way that God had set in place, his laws and his uh, ways of doing things. Lucifer felt he could improve on those. So that's another reason why he wanted to be like God. I think we've got the answer as to whose way was the best way in 2021. We don't really need to have a discussion on it. So here we see it was Satan who started all the problems we have today in this world. Joe, what was the result of Eve's sin on the rest of the world? Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, people say that um, God curses the woman, but here God is he is telling her what the future, now that they, her and Adam have chosen the path that they have of disobedience, these are the, the unfortunate consequences. And so he says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing severe and in painful labor would you give birth to children and your desire will be to your husband. He will rule over you. So we know how that went. Um, and, and there's still a conflict on that in that area. And, be, and then, of course, he addresses Adam and says, because you listened to your wife, which you, you know, which I had commanded you not to eat from, cursed is the ground. And we know that since then, man and woman, humanity has had to work very hard to eke out an existence. Before there were supermarkets, you know, we were um, subject to rain and hail and wind and heat and lack of water. It was a hard, it was hard going. 
And the question you ask is, what was the result of Eve's sin on the rest of the world? Well, it opened the floodgates of woe and pain. Life went on, went from a continual source of joy and happiness to be increasingly peppered with uh, sadness and sorrow. Now, one incident comes to mind, and that is the death of Abel at the hand of Cain. And what horror, you know, what horror and dread must have torn out Eve's heart. And since then, we know what history has been like, and we are aware of the pain inflicted by sin and its consequences, even our own lives. So shall I just summarise that it has been devastating? It's been devastating to humans, to the planet, and um, the, all of nature groans, shall we say, to quote. So because of disobedience to God, things changed. Nick, how was Adam's sin impacted the human race from that time? Again, that's a very, very good question. And uh, if I read in, um, in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, uh, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus that spread to all men because all sin. You know, this passage is under a subtitle called Death in Adam and Life in Jesus. Through Adam and through the first sin, I mean, to Eve, to put this this way, but uh, uh, as we know, through procreation, everyone who was born on this earth after that, they inherited this sin. But it's interesting that sin, it says here, that brings death. That's the result of sin. Now, through Jesus Christ and being born again, if you like, Another form of procreation in a spiritual way, through Jesus Christ, we are all getting back life. And if you choose this to be in lineage with that, then we will have eternal life. Because even with Adam, even though sin was from Adam to all men, there are lots of people in the Bible after Adam which are called righteous men because they choose not to, you know, that's interesting. Again, we're coming to this uh, aspect of choice. For example, Enoch, the Bible says that he walked with God and yes. God took him uh, in heaven. You see, through our choice, even today, we can totally change around the um, destiny, if you like, uh, of our life. Thank you, Nick. Later. How do we know we are sinful and out of harmony with God? Yeah, we read in in, uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 7, which it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So God gave us his law like a mirror. If we wouldn't have this law, we wouldn't be able to detect our sins. So the law is showing us wherever we are and whatever we do, if we do do sin or we don't sin. What a shame and disaster that the wonderful world Adam and Eve knew was changed. And instead of them living forever in paradise, they now had a time frame to live in before they died. Men, 
What is God's law and where do we find it? Well, you can find it in two places in the Bible. First of all, you can find it in Exodus chapter 20, and that will be from verses 3 through to um, 17. And then you can also find it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. There are some very slight differences. Um, One of those differences is with regard to how people or why people should keep the Sabbath. In Exodus, it highlights the fact that God is creator. But in Deuteronomy, it highlights that God is deliverer. Now, a lot of people regard the law of God as being optional, but they are the Ten Commandments. Commandments are not optional. If you're in the army and a superior officer gives you a command, you've got to do it. You can't say, well, I'll think about that. No, you have to do it. I find it very interesting in Deuteronomy that the commandments are actually, the Lord says, as I've commanded you. For example, Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And then if you go down to verse 15, Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And if you go to 16, honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. The Ten Commandments are not optional. And I'd also like to say, because I've just read those verses from Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Sabbath commandment is a command. It's not an option. So that one is a particular one that many people these days do not observe. In the light of what was just said about where did sin come from and what? how do you define sin, that sin is the breaking of God's law. I have concerns for many people, including some of my friends, who totally ignore this commandment and just say, well, it doesn't matter. It says there quite clearly, as the Lord your God has commanded you. And that's a very important point. I I myself find it very strange today that so many Christians do not keep the Sabbath day as per the Bible. Many of them believe, oh, that was only for the Jews. But of course, the reality is it's for all Christians all over the world, and the Bible makes it very, very clear. So here we see a set of rules that all people are to keep. The first four deal with our relationship with God, and the remaining six deal with our relationship with other people. Brenton, why is it so important to keep God's law, the Ten Commandments? Well, let me share Deuteronomy 32, 45 to 47. There's one particular statement here that I want to highlight and then contrast it with something from Deuteronomy 28. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you. This is the important verse, because it is your life. 
and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. So God is promising them that if they're faithful to his laws and decrees, it's not just mere rote, it's not just automatically obeying a set of rules and regulations, this is your life. There used to be a show on TV, some of you might remember, called This Is Your Life. And it's interesting that he's, God is using this term here through Moses. Moses is speaking, but it's God inspiring him. But I want to go back to Genesis 28, uh, Exodus, rather, sorry, Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. That's the first 14 verses, um, Ken, of Deuteronomy 28. Then you come to verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Deuteronomy 28 is known as the blessings and cursings chapter. And there are about three times as many curses in the chapter as there are blessings. I think God is um, starting out with the positive and going to the negative. And I think it's important to keep God's law simply because your quality of life, not only your quality of life, but your whole life, everything in life will turn out the way that the first 14 verses say that if you do keep the the commandments of the Lord your God, even though you live in the midst of conflict, and that scenario really hasn't changed in 2021. If God were giving um, these laws to us in 2021, I wonder what form they would take. In many respects, they would be similar to this, because if it is your life, why would your life be different um, there than it is now? It's just that our lives today, shall we say, are far more complicated than perhaps they were back then. These people were basically shepherds. They were humble people. They were rural folk. They were going into a land that they didn't have the power and the ability to uh, conquer for themselves. God was going to do all of that for them. Today, we live in a very complicated life. So if we're applying this to our lives today, be obedient to God's laws and regulations. Ask him to place them in your heart because it's for your best good. God's laws and God's ways are always, always for our best good. That's a very important point. Len, you wanted to add to that? Yes, I don't have much to say on this, but I'd like to say something very important. There are plenty of people around the place who say, there you are, God's law was given to the Jews meaning it doesn't apply to us. I'd like to say, yes, it was given to the Jews, but it was given to the Jews and through the Jews. And I think a lot of people forget that God's law was given through the Jews and it applies to us in 2021, just as it applied 2,000 years or more ago. Then I was going to just add that point myself that we read a few moments ago in Malachi, that I am the God I change not. And these blessings people can receive today as well. God hasn't changed and the blessings are still available to all those who would follow God and call on God. I think this is very important to say 
today, because you mentioned the law, the Sabbath, and then you said that in uh, Exodus speaks about the fourth commandment about God being the, the creator and the, in the autonomy also redeemer. Very important, because when was on in Exodus, given on Sinai, God gave laws and precepts to the people to know how to deal with what's in front of them. And then they experience a lot of things which they break the Sabbath, for example, and all the consequences of that. And we just need to go and read the story of Israel in the wilderness. And now Moses is talking back to them again, just before the entrance in Canaan. And it says, reminding them and added a little bit to that law, not changing it. Like Jesus says, you have heard in the old uh, saying not to kill, but I'm saying to you not to even speak uh, words who can affect or not to commit adultery, but I'm saying to you not even look uh, lastly, you know, to a woman. You see, this is not changing the law. This is to emphasize. But what I really like to say here is let's try to say something, not to look that we are biased, because all of us here, we are Sabbath keepers. And there are many people who may say, that's not right, because uh, uh, we're keeping Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's Lord's Day. You have to prove that with the Bible. Because I have a lengthy discussion last night with a friend just on this topic, and brought to me to my attention, all the writings of the early fathers, like Polycarp or like uh, Antipas and all others, saying about Sunday, how important it is to keep Sunday for the resurrection, because that's Lord's Day. Now, is that what the Bible says? Is the Bible backing up that? Because when we make an affirmation, or a, a, we need to look in the context and find support in the Bible, as it says in Second uh, Timothy 3.16, for the whole Bible, it's inspired by God, you know, to teach us, to guide us. That's what I, I like to say here, because I don't want you, our listener here, to think that we are just propagating here a doctrine, because we are all Sabbath keepers or Adventists. We are encouraging you and us all to look into the Bible and find the foundation of our faith in the Bible, not because of an organization, not because even of the forefathers. Nick, that's such an important point, and I'm just going to add a little bit about myself here. Uh, I was a Christian before I really understood the Sabbath, and I just went along with what the church really said because I didn't read the Bible that much, to be honest with you. But when it was pointed out to me by a friend who um, wasn't a Sabbath keeper as well, they had been told about the Sabbath being the Saturday. When I checked it out in the Bible and really thought about it, it's as, it's as crystal clear as anything. So it comes back to the question, do you follow the God's way in the Bible or do you follow man's way in his tradition? And the answer is, if you're wise and you want to have a, a close relationship with God, you need to follow God's word and his ways. Joe, can we earn salvation by keeping God's Ten Commandments? That's a good question because because a lot of people say we, you know, 
we can't keep the Ten Commandments, and it's all by grace. We, by grace, we are saved, and and that is true. Um, so we can never really earn. We can never be good enough to earn our own salvation because we know that our own righteousness is as filthy rags, meaning completely out attempts are worthless. Um, that we can't really naturally do anything to please God, and often we hear the the phrase keeping 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 God's Ten Commandments or keeping the law of God. And I think sometimes it's misunderstood and or, or seen from only one perspective. I believe that it's probably to some degree truer to say that the commandments actually keep us, the controversial, actually keep us. So that every, every, every commandment, if you like, is actually a promise. It's a promise that, um, you know, for our own hap- it's been designed for our own happiness. So often the law and grace have actually been on opposite teams, if you like. It's seen, yes, this is this is the law and it's all drudgery and it's hard, it's impossible, and we are in bondage to the law. And then, oh, on this other side, we have grace, and grace frees us from the obligations of the law. It frees us and we don't have to worry about it and all this kind of thing. I think what many people don't realise is that the law and grace actually work together in synergy in the sense that while the law points out the ideals that God has set for us, grace enables us to, to, to uh, you know, not that we can do it in our own strength, but God beca- begins to recreate and um, give us abilities and, and desires for him to change us. Imagine a world, Ken and panel, where uh, there were people that didn't murder each other, didn't steal from each other. You know, relationships were saved because there was no adultery. People were respected. Parents were respected, as was authority. I mean, we're, we're getting close to a pretty good place to live as opposed to what we see around us right now. So the question, can we earn our salvation? No, we can't. Is the law of God going to disappear after Jesus returns? I doubt it. We've already discussed that uh, these are principles that are eternal, that actually provide the framework and the groundwork of a happy, prosperous society where everyone respects each other and each other's rights. So I guess um, what I can rely on is that, like the psalmist says, he delights to obey the will of God. He didn't find the law a drudgery. And Jesus delighted in his father. And so while I can't keep the commandments and neither can anyone else, we can ask the Lord to deliver us from our sins and give us a new heart. Mm. And we may fail many times, but we need to remember that he is writing on our hearts and we shall become <laughs> and we shall become what he desires. We shall become more like him. And above all, we must remember that he loves us at all times. Yes. Leon, you wanted to add something? Yes, in relation to the <clears throat> the relationship of law and grace. You can't have grace unless you have law because grace is offered as a result of mankind breaking the law. Just as you can't swim without water, the same thing applies. If there's no breaking of the law, well, there's no need of grace. It's just a, a, a circular argument. 
That's a good point, Len. It's a bit like, as you're saying, if if we could be saved by the law, well, then Jesus didn't need to come here to save us, but it's obvious that we need it more than that. And through the, the love of God, he sent his son, Jesus, that through his amazing grace, as it tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So basically, if you're the king of a country or you're a pauper on the road, grace is available to everybody. It makes it very clear that we are saved by grace, not by keeping the commandments as no man can. Again, Romans 3 and verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Nick, in the Bible, do we find illustrations of salvation as a gift of God's grace and not the result of our own works? A classic example, uh, Ken, here is that um, of those two criminals, you know, on uh, each side of Jesus uh, at the cross, because uh, you see they talking in between themselves also. Um, One of them, uh, you know, challenging Jesus that if he is the son of God to command that all of them to come down from the cross, not considering that they broke the law, those two, I mean, that's why they are there. Uh, as a consequence of breaking the law. But the other one, it's challenging him and say, hey, we, we receive what we deserve. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And it's interesting that when he asked Jesus to remember him, Jesus t- said straight away, truly, I, th- I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. A very controversial uh, passage, which I'm not going to go in detail on that one, even though some people said that in that moment, that thief was in paradise, even though Jesus was still uh, on the cross and then after that in the tomb. But what I would like to say actually here is that uh, Jesus said very truly that today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because once we give our heart to Jesus in that moment, we are part of the heavenly kingdom. If you like, we are in paradise, not that we are going in heaven right then, but we are in God's kingdom. We can look at this point also. And this is a very classic example that Jesus offered this thief grace because the, the penalty of his, you know, uh, breaking the law was to die on the cross. At that time, that was the penalty. But Jesus offered him grace, which said, hey, you'll be with me in paradise. What a, uh, what a promise and what a, a blessing to hear from the Lord's mouth. Uh, each one of us today, we may suffer penalty of all sorts of wrongdoings. But through his grace, we are promised to be in his kingdom. Good news. Nick, you know how you said, uh, oh, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, um, I, I think that, uh, the, I think there was a comma there that should have come. I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus himself, um, had not, did not go to paradise that very day because on Sunday morning, it says to, is it Mary that he says, I have yes. not yet, touch me not. I have not yet ascended to my father. So right. he himself, had not 
gone to paradise. So therefore, how could the thief have preceded Christ into heaven? So um, I think that's just a, a bit of a flaw in logic there. And Joe, just on, to respond on that one, because I, yeah, I, um, this is a very common uh, uh, explanation also. Uh, but I would like to say, regardless of that comma, you know, which we know that when the Bible is written, that was not written in the form which we have now with verses and chapters and so on. And I agree with what you're saying, but Jesus started his kingdom, mm-hmm. if you like, here on earth. That's what he came here and say, even if we take it that way, today you'll be with me in paradise. In why, which paradise? In my kingdom, which I came here to establish. Now, not on this earth. That will be m- later on. But Jesus already started. To, and you may heard about that saying that we need to live on this earth right here. Start to, to live the life which, uh, which we will will live in heaven because otherwise will be very uh, different when we'll go there in heaven. It will be a total shock for us if we don't start to live the life here. Well, thank you, Nick, uh, for that. That's uh, an- another topic we'll get into perhaps another day. But our main focus today was law and grace. So today we have heard where sin came from and how it came to our earth. I know there are many people who do not believe in a devil, Satan. However, The Bible makes it very clear he does exist, and his ultimate goal is to destroy as many people on this earth as possible, especially those who follow God's commandments. We have also heard about the law of God, the Ten Commandments, which God has told us we must obey, not to be saved, but for our own and other persons, people's benefit. The Bible makes it very clear that we are not saved by keeping these commandments, rather by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, who gave his life for us so that we could again have a relationship with God, which was broken when Adam and Eve sinned. This amazing sacrifice was the greatest gift that Jesus could do for all mankind, and there is no other means whereby one can be saved other than the faith and belief in Jesus. As we have heard from the Bible today, listeners, Jesus is calling everyone to partake in this wonderful grace he has offered. Won't you join him? We'd just like to finish with a prayer. And Leecha, would you like to lead us in that? Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for your everlasting love and grace towards us always. In our sinful nature, we just cannot compare comprehend your uniqueness, your excellence, your majesty, your kingship, because you are the king of the entire vast universe, the king of the kings and the lord of the lords, the creator, full of divine love, unchangeable. Father, please give us the tenacity and strengthen our faith to be obedient to your law and precepts fully. Thank you for giving us our freedom of choice to choose to love you and serve you. Father, thank you again for your law and decrees given to us as a guide for our good and happiness to be able to navigate in our life righteously. We thank you so much. Please receive our appreciation 
and thanks. We glorify your holy name because you are worthy, worthy of glory, honor, and praise. In the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 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 Well, thank you everyone for your participation today. I know this topic of law and grace, it's a beautiful one. Uh, and as was mentioned, uh, this goes hand in hand. And if you like to learn more, we're inviting you to come back with us next time when we are going to talk about how to choose life. We have the invitation from Jesus to choose life today. Actually, in the Bible says that even though we may say that we are, we live, we are deaf because we don't experience the true living. May God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk with Jesus.